Did you miss me? Because I missed you. I did. It was a long week without you. But the long wait is all over. Welcome back. This is where the cool kids hang out. Happy to have you back for another episode of Twice the Lutheran. I'm Pastor Wells. That's Wells with two L's. Because by this point, you're saying it in your sleep. I'm twice the Lutheran. And you're well on your way. Welcome back as we dive back into our ongoing encounter with Luther's small catechism. First of all, thank you very much to those of you who reached out to me via email after last week's episode. I greatly appreciate it. If you haven't yet reached out to me, please do so. I would love to hear from you, especially as concerns the future of our time together. What should we review? What should we talk about? What should we learn? What should we study together? Are you excited? I'm excited. The future is wide open. Lots of possibilities. If you haven't reached out to me yet with your questions, comments, concerns, please do so. The email, podcast at twicethelutheran.org. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. I even have a Facebook account set up, Twice the Lutheran. You can follow me there. There is nothing on it. But maybe someday that will change. They tell me that this social media thing is sticking around for a while, so maybe I'll find my way on there. If you think that I should increase my social media savvy and footprint, you can let me know that too. Secondly, I have a confession to make. I'm late. By my fault, by my own grievous fault, this podcast episode is getting to you so late. My great-grandpa used to say, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. That was last week for me. But it is Monday still. And if it's Monday, it must be twice the Lutheran. Let's dive back into... Our study of the third commandment. You might remember uh, a couple of years ago, boy, I don't even remember what year it was, but it did splash all over headlines. I think it was maybe in 2014. Is that 10 years ago? Golly, 10 years ago? I'm getting old. Well, when you get to be my age, you'll understand. It was Joel Osteen's wife, Victoria, at a at a worship service, she got into some hot water for her comments about worship. She kind of went off on this spiel about how God is happy when we are happy, and so that's super important that we're happy. And, and I'm going to pull up her quote here on the screen that I have in front of me to make sure I'm not misquoting. Here's what she says, Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself, because that's what makes God happy. Amen? 
She said amen. I'm not saying amen. She said amen, question mark. And in parentheses, the quote I'm reading says, the congregation applauds. So apparently they are agreeing. Is that true? And if not, why not? Is it true when you're doing you're, when you go to worship, you're doing it for yourself to make yourself happy? I guess at the heart of the question is in worship, who is serving whom? Is God serving you? Or are you serving God? Knowing what you know about the scriptures and the sacraments, wouldn't you say you're coming you're coming to worship to be served by God? And you'd say, well, well, sure, but, you know, I, I see the prayers and I stand up and I sit down. Okay, I'll grant you that. But can you really pat yourself on the back? Is that, is that what God was waiting for all week for you to stand up and sit down and say a prayer just at church? Well, no. So don't jump too much on the bandwagon here because there is a little bit of a, of a question we have to wrestle with. Now, is it true then that you go to worship because you worship is supposed to make you happy and that's what God well that's what makes God happy is when you're happy. Well, no, that's really not the focus of worship at all. But to say that to say that worship is me serving God, I'm doing something for God. Well, that's not true. At worship, God is serving you. God is coming to you. Christ is coming to you through word and sacrament to restore you to forgive you, to strengthen you. We say that God created the world ex nihilo. That is Latin, Latin for out of nothing. Remember, you get extra points for using Latin because you sound smarter. And you get double extra points if your Latin sounds like something right out of the Matrix, like ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, God created the world ex nihilo from nothing. I wonder if there's a lot of people in the world trying to do that same thing with their personality, with who they are, with their identity, maybe are you trying to do that? That's a lot of pressure. If you're trying to create your personality, your identity, ex nihilo, out of nothing. I'm going to give you an argument, see if it sticks with you. I think a lot of your worship life, or lack thereof, impacts your identity as a person in this world. I wonder if a lot of people have wandered away from their worship life, have wandered far afield from even to a certain degree what was handed to them by their parents or grandparents, and maybe there was some rebellion there. And so in rebelling against mom or dad or grandma and grandpa or family in general, they wander and run from worship as well. But a lot of that, maybe this is your experience, let me know. I just see a lot of that taking a direct hit to a personality, It almost like it destabilizes a person. And how could it not, right? If you're rejecting that, so what? then what do you value? And who are you? 
a lot of what happens in worship when Christ comes to you, when Christ serves you, when Christ hands you your identity, a lot of that is so grounding. Because throughout the week, you might be getting kicked in the teeth. I don't think Victoria Olstein says that too much when she's talking about living your best life now. The reality, the life experience for a Christian is getting kicked in the teeth. And sometimes the person kicking us in the teeth is us. It's my own sin. It's my own fault, my own grievous fault. I can't blame anybody. And that can be destabilizing to my personality, my identity, until I come back to worship and have my identity fixed and restored and handed to me. When the gospel comes to me with the good news of forgiveness, your sins are washed away. When the gospel comes to me with true identity, you are a forgiven child of God. You are a sinner, but a forgiven sinner. You are God's dearly loved child. See, a lot of that is identity speak. It is grounding. It is direction giving. It orients me in the world. So to walk away from that gift, that precious gift, can be so toxic to how we orient in the world to our own identity and might even leave us searching for answers that we have the pressure to come up with on our own as we try to create our own identity ex nihilo, out of nothing. Instead, why not wrestle with the identity Christ hands you? And, and don't look at it in the terms of it's mom and dad handing it to me or grandma and grandpa handing it to me. It is Christ himself who comes to you. And all of that is happening in worship. And I know there's just so much baggage so often related to worship and how we worship, but if we could just kind of clear the runway, clear the road, and really see the gospel. I think good preachers do that for us. They help us sort of clear out the opinion and the perspective, the human perspectives, and they bring us God's word. I know that when I'm preaching, that is the goal. When you hear Lutheran preaching, that is the goal, that you are hearing God speak to you. And all of that is happening in worship. Now, we left off last, uh, last episode talking about when we are supposed to worship. When exactly is the Sabbath day? And you remember that for the Old Testament Israelites, the Sabbath day was on Saturday. And technically for them, Saturday began what we would call sundown on Friday. So Sabbath was from sundown to sundown. Sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. That was their Sabbath. It wasn't Thursday. It wasn't Sunday. It was that Sabbath, that sundown on what we would call Friday. That was when their Sabbath was commanded. 
Now, to this day, as I mentioned in the last podcast episode, the Seventh-day Adventists will insist on that. In fact, as one listener emailed and said that he's even heard them go so far as to say worship on Sunday is the mark of the beast, I thought, wow, that is, uh, that's quite strong. Something with submitting to the Antichrist if you're, if you're worshiping on Sunday. So are they right? And you might say, pshaw, no, they are not. And, okay, you'd, you'd be right, but can you point to the scriptures to show why that's not so? Can you point to the scriptures to see why worship on some other day than Saturday is okay? Well, let's go back to the catechism that just so happens under the third commandment to categorize those verses. I'm on page 60, if you're following along in your catechism, and it has us asking this question, why aren't we required to observe the Sabbath day in the way the Old Testament people were? And if you're remembering the Old Testament way to worship, it wasn't just Saturday. That was one aspect of it. But remember, you had a sacrificial system, and you had incense to burn, and you had certain hours of prayer. So how deep how deep do you want to go into that? If you're going to insist on a Saturday feature only, what other features would then be required? So what does the catechism tell us? Why aren't we required to observe the way they were? Colossians 2, selected verses here, Even when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ by forgiving us all our trespasses. God erased the record of our debt brought against us by his legal demands. And one of those legal demands was the Saturday worship, right? This record stood against us, but he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And here's a key verse now. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were coming, but the body belongs to Christ. But the body belongs to Christ. Remember, it all pointed ahead to Christ. And he fulfilled it. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. This is at the heart of the Sabbath regulation. Rest for God's people. The minute we start treating worship as an odious burden, The minute we start treating worship as something full of regulation and obligation that we must fulfill, we've got to serve God. We've got to do this thing for him. When we start going down that path, you're not going to like where that path ends. 
Because all of a sudden, rest has been removed. All of a sudden, God's not serving me in worship. I'm serving him. I'm fulfilling some sort of debt. I'm paying him back. Is that what was at the heart of the Sabbath regulation? Sabbath means rest. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let Jesus be the fulfiller of the Sabbath regulation too. Just as he fulfilled all other regulations, just as he accomplished everything the law required, so he's accomplished this one too. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath, that Old Testament day of rest. It was a shadow of the perfect rest our souls are given that the rest are for our souls given to us through the Savior. I'm trying to read from the catechism as I'm talking to you. The Old Testament day of rest was a shadow of the perfect rest for our souls given to us through the Savior. Let there be rest. Take pressure off yourself just a little bit. Take pressure off of you trying to orient your own self in the world based on what you personally think is right and wrong, good and bad. Let Christ himself serve you by handing that to you. It is rest. It is peaceful. The rest comes to your soul because you get to live day in and day out knowing all obligations, all debt that were owed to God. They've been paid in Jesus. It is done. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. So let him serve you in worship by bringing to you that message of rest. Now, does that mean we don't work hard to serve Christ and live our lives the way he wants us to throughout the week? And in this, well, no, of course, of course we do that. But we don't do that in order to appease God. We don't do that in order to earn heaven, in order to earn our own rest. We do that because we are thankful for the rest that He has given. We're going to talk a lot more about that. What's the role of good works? We'll, we'll cover that in the third article of the Apostles' Creed. And if you're wondering, what does that mean? What is the third article of the Apostles' Creed? Then, stick with me, because you'll find out it's all part of becoming twice the Lutheran. We'll get there. We'll get there. So if Christ has then fulfilled the Sabbath, what does the third commandment mean for us in the New Testament? I mean, you can, you can ask this about all Ten Commandments, obviously, right? If Christ has fulfilled the law, then why do we even spend time teaching our kids the Ten Commandments? Well, let's wrestle with that specifically with regards to the Third Commandment. What does it mean for us? By the way, there's that good Lutheran question, what does this mean? Here's some passages for you. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message comes through the word of Christ. You can't have faith in Christ apart from the message. 
If you're saying you can, then you disagree with God and his word because it says right there, Romans 10, 17, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the message. Anyone who wanders from the message is wandering from the faith. Luke 10, 16, whoever listens to you, the preachers, God's message bringers, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. There is a high task given in that passage to the preachers and to the listeners, too. To the preacher, you better make sure you're preaching God's word so that your hearers can say they are hearing God. And a high premium put on listening. If you reject the word that is preached when it is God's word, you are rejecting God himself. John 8, 47, whoever belongs to God listens to what God says. The reason you do not listen is that you do not belong to God. So if you're out there refusing to listen to the word of God, then understand what you're doing. You're proving that you don't belong to God. Because people who belong to God listen to his word. They listen to what God says. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Again, in the Catechism, God's word brings rest to our troubled hearts and lives through its comforting message of forgiveness. In the third commandment, God warns us not to despise his word, but rather consider it sacred and hear it and study it gladly. If you could see through and get around the personality flaws and sins of the people bringing you God's word, there's a challenge as a listener, by the way, Get around the personality and the flaws and the baggage of the guy bringing you God's word so that you could hear God's word itself. That you would treat God's word as high and holy and sacred, as life-giving. So what does the third commandment mean for us in the New Testament? It means listen to God's word. It's got less to do with the when and more to do with the what. There is no when for the New Testament believer. Now you are free to listen to God's word seven days a week. And the high point being in worship with your fellow brothers and sisters on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday if you're at St. Mark's or Monday or whatever, whenever it is. You're not limited to hearing God's word just once a week. You can listen to it seven days a week now. So much of our identity, what we do and who we are, it builds up in a crescendo to our worship and it flows out throughout the week from our worship together. This is at the heart of the New Testament meaning of the third commandment. Listen to God's word. Listen to it preached. Listen to it as you sing it. Listen to it as you study it with gratitude in your heart. So can you say, 
that you're doing that. And here's that part of each study of each commandment where the law now functions as a mirror and holds up before our eyes how we have twisted worship around, how we have made worship more about us than about God's word, how we have even gone so far as to neglect our worship life. So how does God's word serve as a mirror showing us how we sin by despising the word? That same passage I just read before, John 8, 47, now serves as mirror to all of us. Whoever belongs to God listens to what God says. Do you always? Do you daily listen to his word? Do you carry it out? Now we have to admit that we don't always, do we? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us also consider carefully. Don't breeze past those words. Consider carefully. Think about this. Let us also consider carefully how to spur each other on to love and good works. If I asked you to make a list, what are the things that you did last week to spur one person to love and good works? Who is it? And how did you help them? Let us also, let us not neglect meeting together. This is the very next the very next verse. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have the habit of doing. Rather, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And if you're reading in your catechism, you would notice that the day is capitalized. We're talking about a specific day. We're talking about judgment day. It's getting closer, for humanly speaking, of course. And from that human perspective, as we march towards judgment day and the world gets more difficult for Christians to live in, we, we need each other more. Have you forgotten that? We just had a Bible study yesterday, Sunday, where we talked about this very feature of the Christian life, the togetherness. Man, our world has forgotten how to be together. You know why? Because it's so stinking hard to be together. (laughs) People are messy. We say stupid things and we do stupid things and we're selfish people that care only about ourselves so often. We come with baggage. Did I say that Wisconsin enough for you? Baggage. I should have said baggage, not baggage. We come with baggage. That's how we say it in Wisconsin, don't you know? The reality is being together with people is risky. You have to take a risk. You might even have to be vulnerable with people. And truly, truly being together means you even have to let your guard down. So at the heart of a relationship with another person, oh, it's trust. It's trust. Can I trust you? Can I trust you enough to open my heart so that you would see my weaknesses and my flaws? Can I trust you enough that you would speak life to me and not death to me? 
Can I trust you enough that when you are going to hand me criticism, you will do so in a way that builds me up and, and serves me? And then, of course, it's reciprocal, right? I have to consider the same things. My response to those around me, this togetherness, this is difficult. This is messy. This is risky. And so it's not a surprise then, as even the writer to the Hebrews recognizes, some people are in the habit of giving up on that, not meeting together. And so when we give up meeting together, we're robbing each other of the gift of each other. When you aren't with me, I am robbed of the blessing of having you with me (laughs) and all that that entails. When I'm not with you, I'm robbing you of the opportunity to build you up, to be someone who would give you encouragement and love, maybe admonition as needed in a loving way. Let us not give up, let us not neglect meeting together as some have the habit of doing. That's why we often say don't get in the habit of staying away from your Christian brothers and sisters. It's a habit you can fall into. I think doesn't the research say like like a habit is formed at the four-week mark, so if you're doing something for a month, you're starting to form a habit. And that, that's a sword that cuts both ways, right? If you do something for a month that's good, then you're building a good habit, right? I get to the gym a couple of times a week. I say that to let you know that I'm better than you. Just kidding. Just kidding. But as anybody who goes to the gym knows, it's really hard at first to get up and get going. But once you're in the habit of doing it, it gets easier. It even gets enjoyable. Sometimes it's a drag. Sometimes it's just a whole lot like work. But if you're in the habit of doing it, Sometimes it feels so enjoyable. How we feel about everything is maybe a little too touted nowadays. (laughs) The best things in life worth doing are sometimes the hardest, and if you just went with how you felt about everything all the time, I don't think any of us get anything done. And it's the same with worship. When you get in the habit of neglecting worship, guess what? It gets a whole lot easier to keep on neglecting worship. There's a, isn't there a country song that's like easy, easy like Sunday morning or something like that? Okay, whoever sang that song clearly was not a churchgoer, by the way. Shout out to my parents who bring the little ones to church. My goodness, are, would you say Sunday mornings are easy? I wouldn't, not me. A whole lot of work. And if you don't have kids and you're in church and you see the little kids and they're covered in peanut butter and jelly and they make lots of weird sounds and they run up and down the aisle and they're noisy, just be thankful they're there. (laughs) And give mama and daddy a pat on the back. Because it was probably a pretty heavy lift for them to get to the sanctuary in the first place. It was probably a battle to get out the door. But you know what? It was a battle they won. By getting into the sanctuary. So love on them a little bit. All right, that's a tangent. That is a complete tangent. Well, not so much. It still has to do with worship. 
But remember, when you're coming to worship, yes, there is God is serving you, but then there is this other element of you're serving one another by giving encouragement. It is encouraging to see a sanctuary full of fellow Christians who are looking for their sins to be washed away. It is discouraging when the sanctuary is emptying out. And you might be tempted to feel a lot like the prophet Elijah, who was convinced he was the only one left. That's discouraging. 1 John 2.15, back in the Catechism, page 61. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is an element of coming to worship that entails a turning the back on the world. We all know you could be out there making more money. We all know you could be punching the clock and getting more hours in. We all know we could all be sitting at home, comfortable, relaxing, reclining, watching a movie or a video, or maybe even watching church on TV. Is that really the best option? We'll talk about that coming up. But isn't there an element of you getting to worship that means you had to turn your back on the world? You had to say no to whatever else you could have been doing right then? You had to turn your back on making more money? You had to turn your back on more relaxing time? You had to turn your back on more fishing or hobby time? And I'm not saying that those things are bad, by the way, but I am saying, boy, can they compete with your worship life. Be careful. Hobbies and leisure and relaxing. And here's a big one. Sports. We love our sports. Does anybody remember the day when there weren't like 86 tournaments every weekend? (laughs) I feel like when I was a kid, elementary school sports were maybe like an afterthought. I still remember the day, get this, when the public schools wouldn't schedule anything on Wednesday nights because everyone was, it was kind of a given that you were going to be at church going through catechism or instruction of some sort. It's just not that way anymore. And so we have so many more things that compete with our time in God's sanctuary that rob us of time to be together in loving and encouraging ways. And so, yes, there is an element of you being in worship And gathering together, that means you're turning your back on the world. Here's a big one from James. Be people who do what the Word says, not people who only hear it. Such people are deceiving themselves. In fact, if anyone hears the Word and does not do what it says, he's like a man who carefully looks at his own natural face in a mirror. Indeed, he carefully looks at himself, and then he goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. Don't be that guy. Look into the mirror of God's word and understand and remember what you look like and why you need the word of Christ. And then go live that word. The word that calls you to peace. The word that has washed away your sins. The word that has spoken sweet gospel to you. Even though you know what you look like. The gospel has come to you. 
How do you live that? Are you living that in the world? If you're not, you're a hypocrite. Back in the catechism, we can despise God's word in many ways. If we don't hear his word, we're acting as if it's not important to us. This can happen as we stay away from worship services or fail to study God's word on our own because we consider other concerns or pleasures more important. We can also despise God's word when we hear it but refuse to take it to heart. When we refuse to come to terms with what is written in the scriptures for us, then we are neglecting the word of God, treating it like some sort of, I don't know, good luck charm or, you know, leadership book or something. That's a far cry from understanding how the word of Christ speaks to me and to my heart. And then living it out. We got piles and mountains of sin against just this commandment alone. You can see it when you come to worship. There was a day when the sanctuary was full. And you might say, well, pastor, not everybody in there was a Christian, truly. So many of them were hypocrites. And I would say, and many weeks, I am that hypocrite. Many weeks, it is me. Where do you think hypocrites go? When I walk into the gym early in the morning, again, letting you know I'm better than you. (laughs) When I walk into the gym, there are people of all shapes and sizes of varying levels of strength. There's some guys that can bench press a dump truck. There's some guys that had to work really hard to get out of bed that are way out of shape, but they're working on it. You know, churches like that too. It's often been said church is not a museum for saints where you come to adore the good works of everybody else and stand in holy awe of the person standing next to you. It's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital. Maybe we'd even say it's a gymnasium. It's a gym. You come here to work out, and part of your workout routine is you're encouraging the other ones that are working out. You're being their spotter sometimes, and they're being yours. And we're all in it together. And we're all at different points. But whatever else is all happening in the world around us, boy, we're together. Cheering each other on. Surrounding ourselves with the word of Christ and other Christians. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect that. And finally, how did Jesus keep this commandment perfectly for you? Because remember, the standard to get into heaven is perfection. That's what needs to happen. Not one sin. Not even against this one. Not even an eye roll trying to get out of bed in the morning to get to worship. That's a sin. (laughs) Not even a grunt that says, I really don't want to get to worship today. Ah, there's a sin against this commandment. 
We got mountains of them, so how did Jesus take care of it? First, in his active obedience, 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. But then really specifically to the third commandment, Luke 4, 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Jesus went to church. In fact, that one time when Mary and Joseph lost baby Jesus, how'd you like to have that on your record? (laughs) I'm the one who lost the Savior of the world. Don't worry, don't worry, I found him. I found him again. I just, for for a little bit, I didn't know where he was. (laughs) And where did they find him? Do you remember? At church, talking with the old guys. Matthew 4, 1 through 10. This is where the devil tempts Jesus. And Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Again, it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. And Jesus finally says, go away, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus battled away temptation and Satan with that final phrase, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, and then Satan had to flee. Worship was core to who Jesus was and what he did. Always constantly in communication with his Father. Again, back in the Catechism, page 62, if you're following along, recognizing that Jesus kept the third commandment perfectly and has forgiven our sins, we want to honor him by keeping his word. Ah, my friends, this is where the commandment as a guide, the third commandment as a guide gets so wonderful is so worthwhile to read and talk about what exactly are we going to get from the third commandment and how does it guide our worship life and what we do when we get together. My friends, you might have been waiting for this exact conversation about worship. What should we do when we get together for worship? And in true good podcast hosting, hosting fashion, I will give you Another reason to tune in next week. There's your cliffhanger for this week. As we talk a little bit more about the nitty-gritty of what happens in worship. Don't miss it. It's going to explain so much about what happens in the Lutheran sanctuary and why we do what we do. But you'll have to wait till next time. Another long week, my friends. But don't forget, I am only a few taps on the keyboard away podcast at twice the lutheran.org podcast at twice the lutheran.org thank you my friends see you again so soon <laughs>